Hey, Mount Airy. Uh, Lisa and I are at Williamsburg this weekend. This is her annual time to see her family, and so we're away visiting with them. But today we're leaving you in good hands as J.D. Mangrum is coming to preach for you in just a moment. Uh, J.D., as you know by now, is our church planter that will soon be moving to Boston. We want you to have a chance to hear from him and to get to know him better. And so would you welcome with me today J.D. Mangrum. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good not to be videoed for a service that's going to be played in just a few minutes. Um, you have a great pastor here, so I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah, you can say amen to that. Like, Pastor Keith, man, he is awesome. Last week, he's an awesome pastor, uh, but he's also an awesome preacher, and rarely do you get both. You know, usually you get one or the other, right? And so last week, uh, I knew I was teaching today, and we sat right over here last Sunday in worship with uh, Peter and Julia. And, uh, and I told Natalie after, I was like, man, he's a, he's a great preacher too. Okay, so I'm nervous this morning. Like in the first service, I'm nervous. I feel like I'm filling uh, big shoes. And yet I do know that, and it's the Lord that has a word from Pastor Keith, and it's uh, the Lord that has a word from me this morning. So I'm glad you're here. Um, thank you. We, we, we really like Mount Airy Baptist Church. We're honored that you would partner with us, and we're excited about what God's going to do as our family transitions in a couple of weeks to Boston. My wife is Natalie. Some of you have met her. She uh, went to the, the second service. She's sitting on the back row and, uh, and was so happy to be sitting on the back row in the, uh, the other service. And um, we've got two boys, Noah and Owen, and they are loving it here. And we are just super grateful to be part of Mount Airy for this month. And, um, and thank you. Like, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your partnership with us in the gospel work in New England. One thing that you'll get to know about our family is we love Christmas. Like, we love it. Um, we, we put the boys' Christmas trees up this year. They, have, they each have their own little Christmas tree. I think we put it up around November 10th. We put our family, I'm not kidding. Uh, we put our family Christmas tree up, I think, this year around November 17th. That's actually not the earliest we've ever put it up. But we've got to take it down a week early this year to move. So we went ahead and put it up a little early. My birthday is on Halloween. And so every year on the, we do Halloween. We let the boys trick-or-treat with cousins. And so every year on the way home uh, from trick-or-treating, we start Christmas music. So in our house, uh, Christmas music starts playing on October 31st about nine or ten o'clock at night like we love Christmas in fact this is no joke my wife's name in French means Christmas child like we love Christmas we do we love everything about it It, as we get as I love my kids being part of it we love it all we love the music the gifts we love the parties we love all of it but we also know uh, for a lot of people it is not their fate the most wonderful time of year For a lot of folks, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of year. For a lot of folks, this is the most financially stressful time of year. For a lot of folks, your calendar will be busier this month than it will be any other month during the year. And that is stressful. Uh, For a lot of folks, this season um, represents something sad. You know, I grew up in a single-parent home. I had a great upbringing with a mom and two grandparents who loved us. But for a lot of folks uh, who grew up in broken homes, this is a sad time of year. Uh, Maybe there's a difficult memory. Maybe this is a difficult time of year. the church that we pastored for the last eight years, it was, we joked in the first service, it was basically all people 35 and younger for the most part with almost most of them had no church or Christian memory. And for a lot of them who are newlyweds and 
not seeing good marriages uh, and homes that they grew up in, that marriage is a fight. And so Christmas is difficult and it's not exciting. And it would be stressful because, you know, you've got to act like we're so happy at this time of year. And the truth is, some marriages are difficult. And this is a difficult time of year for a lot of people. And then, uh, obviously, like, um, nature and politics and current events don't stop. Because baby Jesus is born in December. Like, this, I thought this week about the tsunami that hit a few years ago. I believe it was on December 26th, if I remember right. And tens of thousands of people in Asia died on that day. I, I was reading this week about wars that, even in Christian nations, wars that have happened and, and been fought through Christmas, through the Christmas season. Politics and nature and life and tragedy and... Um, brutality don't stop for baby Jesus's birth. And so for a lot of people, this is a tough, tough season. And yet, then I think about the Christmas cards that you get every year with the angels blowing trumpets, and they inevitably say, and you got little baby Jesus there in the little nice manger, and they say, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Which leads me to wonder, looking at my calendar and how my blood pressure can steadily amp up from about December 1st to December 25th with, are these gifts going to work? Is so-and-so going to be happy? Are we going to get to everybody's house? Wow, we can't make it to be at two parties at once. By the time you get to the night of December 25th, you're just like, whew. And I think about those cards and I think, where is that peace on earth in my life? And then you read the newspaper and where is that peace on earth? Where's the peace what kind of peace is it that those angels were even offering? And who is that peace for? Who is it even for? Is it for everybody? Is it truly peace on earth for all people? That's a good, those are good questions I want us to deal with today. Now let me give you two disclaimers. First, when I asked Pastor Keith what he wanted me to teach on today, he said, you can teach on whatever. Well, that's pretty broad. And so I said, Pastor Keith, it's Christmas. What are you teaching on? And so this week he sent me his, uh, all the stuff he's teaching on. It's like the Christmas story. Every week you're going to get a part of the Christmas story. I was like, wow, unless there's a part of this Christmas story I've never seen, uh, he's got this covered. So I thought, okay, I've got to do, do something a little bit different. The second thing I wanted to tell you uh, is there's one point today. If you're a person whose mind wanders, anybody here whose mind wanders, Okay, good. You're actually still paying attention. Congratulations. You did it. You've made it this far. If your mind wanders, but you like to know what you got, there's one point today. There will be one point to this sermon. Anything else you hear, write down, take away is entirely up to you. But I'll tell you when it's coming because I want you to get it. There's one thing you need to hear today. And so if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to talk about the peace that Jesus brings and the peace that Jesus did not bring uh, this morning from Matthew uh, chapter 10. While you're getting there, let me, let, me, uh, let me pray. God, honor your word. Jesus' kingdoms will pass away. Pastors will pass away. The way that we communicate will be forgotten. But God, your word stands forever. And your word is the only, is the only power in this in this life, to change people. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that by, uh, by the power of the Spirit and the power of the written Word of God, that we would hear what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 10, uh, 34 through 39. Uh, before I read it, let me tell you, Jesus here is going to tell us not where 
or how he came, but why he came. Man, I've, I've sat in arguments and conversations for years about, well, was Jesus born in a cave? Was he born in a stable? Was he born at a, you know, Motel 6? Where was, he, where was he born? And I've heard people talk about how he came. How old were his parents? Who was there that night? What were the actual animals that were there? And Jesus isn't going to talk about any of that. Jesus never talks about where he came or how he came, but frequently Jesus talks about why he came. He talks about that he came to give life and give it to the full. He talks about how he came to seek and to save the lost, how he came to lay down his life as a ransom for many. But here he's going to talk about why he came uh, in Matthew 10. Let me read it. Verse 34. Don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I think it's so funny that he doesn't say anything about a father-in-law and a son-in-law. Like he knows that a guy taking a man's daughter is enough to break that relationship. So he doesn't even mention that. Um, And all the dads with daughters like awkwardly laugh and people without daughters, it just flies by him. Verse 36, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will, uh, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I'll be honest, this is one of the hardest passages in the New Testament for me. A couple of you are nodding your head. I love my boys. And it makes me uncomfortable to hear Jesus say, If you love your boys, if you love your sons more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. And so I want us to get this morning at why Jesus came, what he's talking about here, the peace that he's bringing and not bringing. Let me give you some context for verse 30. We'll start in verse 34. Now, Jesus comes on the scene in first century Jerusalem. And in first century Jerusalem, God's people, the Israelites, were under Roman rule. And they had been for a long time. And, and they were oppressed politically. They were being taxed to death. They were frustrated. They were angry. And they were wanting a kingdom that was a thousand years in the rearview mirror. The kingdom of David, King David. They wanted King David's kingdom 2.0. And so they say, they basically are constantly talking with Jesus about, when's the kingdom going to come? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And Jesus is saying, look, I didn't come to bring peace. Now, what he's saying is not like peace in our heart. What he's talking about is, I didn't come to bring political peace. I didn't come to free you from Rome. I didn't come to set up my Jewish kingdom. I didn't come to be your king. I didn't come to do any of that. He says, in fact, I came to bring a sword. I didn't come to bring the kind of peace that you want, the sort of external peace. He came to bring a sword. And honestly, we're not that much different than they were then. I can't tell you in the last three months how many times I've heard Christians, some red, some blue, say, man, if we can just get the right people elected, then things are going to be okay. And that is what Jesus is striking against here. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter about any of that for us as the people of God. Jesus didn't come to bring peace that flows through Washington or through any other type of earthly institution. He came to bring a different kind of peace. In fact, for us, he came to bring a sword to all of those false hopes about things that where we would place our hope uh, if it's anywhere other than him. We're not that much different. Uh, though as human beings and as a culture and wanting external peace. So in 35 and 36, he goes on and he's not trying to create conflict and saying, I've come to set a man against his dad, a daughter against her mom, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He's not trying to 
make conflict. Jesus is not about dividing family. Jesus is very pro-family. But what he is saying is if it comes down to him or a relationship, we always have to choose him. I'll be honest, I didn't say this in the first service. We're super nervous about this, Chris, this Christmas. We'll go to my mom's for four days and we'll go to Natalie's mom's for three days. We're nervous because, I know, you should be nervous every year. Um, we're nervous because our moms are having to live this out. And they will say, when we get in the car and leave, they're both believers and they know that they will, at least for wider gaps than it's ever been before, because of their love for Jesus, and Jesus' call on our life, they will be saying goodbye to their grandsons for a little bit. And that's what Jesus says. If it comes down to a relationship or me, you always have to choose me. If it's your comfort or me, you choose me. If it's some stuff or me, you have to choose me. It's not that he's anti all those things. It's just that he's pro himself more than anything else. Verse 37, he's not saying you have to reject your family, but what Jesus is saying, and this is so important, is you can't call me Savior and then not also call me Lord and King. And now, now that gets, that gets tough. There's so many times I want Jesus to save my soul and take me to heaven and love me and give me grace, but I want to hang on to the little trinket idols and small gods that I love very much that make me feel comfortable. And in verse 37, when Jesus is uh, saying, whoever loves all this other stuff more than me is not worthy of me, he's not calling us to reject um, family, but he's saying, you can't call me Savior and not call me King. If you want me to have your soul, you also got to let me have your your mind, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your bank account, your cell phone, your calendar. I got to have it all. I can't just be your savior of your soul and not be also the Lord of your life. And so he goes on in verse 37 and 38, and he he gives these three not worthy of me statements. And I want to kind of unpack them and flesh them out because um, I think it's a little broader than just our parents and our kids. He says, if you opt for your parents over me, you're not worthy of me. Now, in Jesus' day, your parents weren't just your mom and dad. It was a lot more than that. Your parents was your tradition. If you opt for tradition over Jesus, your lineage, your heritage, are you from the right family? He says, you're not worthy of me. It was your past. It was your roots. Somebody came up to me after the first service and said, you're from Macon, Georgia. I said, yeah, I'm from Macon, Georgia. I'm proud to be from Macon, Georgia. That's a big deal to me. Jesus says, if you're more proud of your past and where you've been, then if, if that's a bigger deal than me, you're not worthy of me. If you're, if you're more worried about your inheritance than me, what your parents are going to pass on to you when, when they die or the trade that your dad gave you to make a living, if all that's more important to you, if that's your identity and not me, you're not worthy of me. He talks about kids. If you opt for your kids over Jesus, if we opt for our future, our plans for our life, The dumbest thing I ever said was in 2004. I've told you this. In 2004, Natalie and I said the three states we would never live in would be Montana, Idaho, and South Carolina. And uh, I don't know why we we chose. I know why we. 
Idaho and Montana seem further away from civilization than anything we could comprehend in our late and mid and late 20s. And in South Carolina, I'm from Georgia, and just South Carolina was the punchline to every joke a Georgia kid ever made about geography. And God, having a sense of humor, of course, sent us to South Carolina for the first time. Jesus says, look, if you're going to opt for your future and your plans for yourself, you're not worthy of me. If you're going to opt for your legacy or the name you think you're building for yourself, you're not worthy of me. And he goes on in 38, he says, whoever doesn't take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If we won't, if we're going to rely on ourself, on our ability, on our resources, if we think in any level that we're going to do something for God. I'm Baptist all my life. Before I was born, I was in Baptist churches. And so often being raised Baptist and thinking we're going to change the world through missions and all that, it's so easy to pick up this idea that we're going to do something for God. When the scripture says that God wants to do something in us and for us and through us. And Jesus says, if you got to let go of this mentality, but you're going to do anything for me, lay down, your, take up your cross and follow me. You're not going to do anything for me. I'm going to do something in you and through you. And he wraps up in 39, he says, whoever loves, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So here's the one thing. You ready? Here it is. I'm going to give you one note today. And after that, we'll just unpack it. Once we put the sword to competing loyalties, we experience God's peace. Not until in this life, not until we put the sword to all competing loyalties do we experience God's peace. Until, like, God becomes this great cancer surgeon where the cancer is sin and the cancer is idolatry and the cancer is anything that would attach itself to us so that we would choose those things over him. And until we let God like a cancer surgeon, begin to amputate the idolatry and sickness of sin, we will never experience peace in this life the way that Jesus intends for us to experience. That begins when we become a Christian and are born again. It continues through the rest of this life as God begins to prune and shape us and make us more like Jesus. Christ alone, anything else will make us restless. You can have everything in this universe this Christmas and sit at the tree on Christmas night with all the presents unopened or open and be miserable because Christ plus anything else in this life will always make us restless. Jesus plus fill in the blank makes us restless or worse, it will make us apathetic, indifferent, lukewarm, or backslidden. Not one time in scripture do I ever see Jesus allowing a man or woman to follow him who wants to follow him and follow something or someone else at the exact same time. That's why Jim Elliott, who died in the 1950s in South America, sharing the gospel with a group of people who'd never heard of Jesus, said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died hours before the Allied um, army came in and freed Jews and Christian pastors who stood up against Nazism. It's why, and right before um, the Allies came in, Bonhoeffer was hanged in a Nazi concentration camp. My favorite quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer is this. It says, uh, when, God call, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Because Jesus plus anything else will always make us restless. And until we put the sword to complete, uh, competing loyalties, 
we will never experience God's peace. So what about peace? What about the Christmas cards? Turn to Luke 2 if you're quick. Um, If you can't get there, that's okay. I'll read it to you. Luke 2, verse 14. Here's the angels. Here's the shepherds. Here's that moment. Let me read you that one verse, and Pastor Keith will preach more about it in a couple of weeks. Luke 2, 14 says, Now glory to God. The angels are bursting through the sky, praising God among humans for what's just happened. It says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom... He is pleased. Now, I'm going to turn over real quick. You don't have to turn there. But in John 16, verse 33, right before Jesus is arrested and tried, he says this. He said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation or hard times, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Now, the peace Jesus offers, because he said I didn't come to bring military absence of conflict, political peace, he says. But the peace he brings is the idea of shalom. It's the idea of everything in the world being right between people and God. Shalom peace is what was happening in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 before there was sin in the garden. Shalom peace is what will happen at the end of time when God deconstructs every bit of this and ushers in a new heaven and a new earth. It's when all the world is right. Have you ever had a moment where all the world is right? You know, like you have a great meal and you go and you sit in the recliner And you breathe, and you're like, oh, man, that was so good. Life is good. And it's like, man, I just experienced the goodness of God full force for just a moment. Or maybe your kids do, like, we'll have moments where we'll be sitting in the living room, and the kids are playing on the floor and actually not fighting with each other, and everything is good. And you say, oh, God, this must be what heaven is going to be like. Shalom, that's the peace that Jesus gives, not the absence of conflict, but the idea that things can be right between God and people in the world. And shalom peace, the peace Jesus brings, plays out in three ways. One, the peace that Jesus will bring this Christmas, or in this moment, is peace between God and man. It's that that we don't have to do anything for God, but God wants to do something in us. And God isn't today, he's not angry at us. God's not disappointed with us as followers of Jesus. He's not frustrated with us. Jesus took all of God's wrath on the cross that was destined for and earned by us. And now God is pleased with you and I. Merry Christmas. Jesus has made a way for God to look at you and smile and be pleased Man, my dad, well, let me tell this. I love the movie A Christmas Story. I love it. I think it's so good. There's this great moment at the end of A Christmas Story where the boy is opening the gun that the dad got, and the dad is just hanging by a moment watching his son, delighting in the fact that he's done this for his son, and he's exceeded his son's expectations, and his son is growing up before his son. Man, I think that, my friends, is how God looks at us today with delight and pleasure, just waiting to see what we're going to do next and recognize that he's at work. Peace between God and man, and therefore peace in our hearts. My dad gave his life to Jesus um, just literally a couple of weeks before he passed away after the turn of a new year three years ago. He knew he was dying somehow. He didn't have cancer. He just knew that his days were almost up. And he, he got everything right with the Lord. I never will forget that Christmas, watching my dad 
at peace with God and for the first time in his life at peace with himself after a lifetime of addiction and brokenness. God brings peace between God and man. He brings peace between us as believers. Our faith family becomes a greater marker than all our other identities. And so we're family today, regardless of our gender or our age or our religious upbringing or our economics or whether you voted Democrat, Republican or neither. It it unites us more than all of our struggles. It all is grace that brings us together and brings shalom between us as the people of God. And third, it's peace with life or perspective. It's the confidence that God is is in control. It's the confidence that even though Caesar is king, that Rome is the authority of the day and that we are oppressed, God is in control today. It's the confidence that even though Jesus is arrested and he's forced to go through a mock trial and he's crucified naked and he's buried and dead, God is in control and has a plan. It's the confidence that today, this morning, as persecution occurs around the world and Christians are arrested for their faith and the underground church is in fact still underground and there are people losing their life for the cause of Christ. Christ today, that God is still in control. And it's the confidence that sickness and hard times and trials and being misunderstood and lonely and abandoned do not mean that God is not in control. In fact, God is in total control, even in the lack of peace around us. Peace with God, with one another, with life. That confidence, the perspective to trust that God will put it right. That is not the that is not the peace with God, by the way, that John Lennon sang of when he sang, Happy Xmas, War is Over. It's not that peace. And it's not the kind of silly, contrived peace of some precious moments nativity scene with baby Jesus and little angels in diapers with harps and wings that just look so silly that it's unbelievable. The world is much more violent than that. And it's not even the kind of peace that Hands everybody a Coca-Cola or parentheses because of Pastor Keith, a Pepsi. I was told I can't say Coca-Cola here. Um, But when I think about Coke at Christmas, I think about that commercial. Do you remember? It was when I was a kid. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. It's not that. It's something totally other and otherworldly that Jesus offers to us this Christmas. And so I think I want to encourage you with three things today. First, you don't have to write this down. Just listen. I gave you the one point. If you got the one point, you heard it all. But here's what I would encourage you to do in response to that. In the hectic season, remember that Christmas is a time to witness to peace with God. While people are running around, do we buy all the gifts? Do we get it? Do we please everybody? Is everybody happy with us? Who do we make angry? Do we spend enough? All that. Remember that Christmas is a time to witness to bear witness to peace with God and how we sing and how we live and how we schedule and how we give gifts and how we worship. I baptized my nephew a month and a half ago, my Christmas gift to him this year. We had a professional photographer shoot the baptisms that we did at our church. And so he has this fast frame. My gift to my nephew this year is a bunch of four by sixes of me lowering him down into the water dead and buried to sin and raising him up new to life in Christ. Man, see, the gospel, the peace in my heart is going to dictate what's important to me and even how we're going to give gifts this year as a family. 
in the hectic with everybody running around crazy, use this time strategically to bear witness to Christ. Put the sword to chaos. Experience the peace of Jesus being first. Have a strategically Merry Christmas. Second thing I want to encourage you to do. Use the reflective season, the downtime, if you get it, to uh, ask Jesus and even ask yourself if there's anything that he needs to put a sword to to bring life. All the competing loyalties, I promise you, are cancer. Sin is cancer. Idolatry is cancer. Use the quiet moments to ask Jesus, is there anything great surgeon of my heart and life that needs to be amputated so that I can experience peace and life in you and with you? It may be a habit. It may be a mindset. It may be a relationship. It may be a wrong priority. Ask him during this reflective season. Third thing I would encourage you to do, remember, and this is the best, This is the best one, by the way. Remember that peace is always received, never earned. Peace is always received, never earned. Jesus came to bring a sword in order to bring peace. The Bible says that Jesus gives peace, uh, that Jesus, Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit grows peace in us that he maintains peace, that Jesus sustains our peace, and in fact, that Jesus is our peace. Religion says, do, go get peace. Work hard, free your schedule, streamline your bank account, make everything tight and nice and clean. You do that, go, and then you will have peace. The gospel says, Jesus brings peace. We ask for peace, we receive peace. For some of you right now, because of a lack of peace, like I want to encourage you just to tune out what I'm going to say in the next three minutes and just right now say, Jesus, right now, I need peace. I ask you, I receive the peace that only you can bring, the peace that comes from knowing that I am right with you and you are in control. Now, if you are still listening, uh, let me encourage you uh, with this story and we'll be done. In 1988, my granddad, who is the patriarch of the family, he was the one who led me to Christ. He's my hero. Um, when I was about 11, maybe 12, I think it was 88, so I would have been 11, my granddad fell off a 16-foot ladder onto concrete. We thought he was going to die, honestly. It was really like touch and go um, for a while. He broke his hip in two places. He broke his back. Just this man who was larger than life was reduced to a hospital bed and a ton of pain. A couple of months later, Christmas comes, and my grandparents would always have a Christmas party on Christmas Eve, and the grandkids and the, everybody would come and friends, and it was it, that is Christmas to me. It's Christmas Eve at my grandparents' house, and there was a lot of question that year because of Grandpa's help as to whether or not we would have the Christmas Eve party. And my granddad said, absolutely, we're having the Christmas Eve party. And so I never will forget that year. It was unlike any other year. I remember watching my granddad. He was in a ton of pain. Uh, sitting there, usually he would be dressed up in his sweater and tie and pants, you know, because you have to wear a tie and a sweater to the Christmas party at your own house and um, with the grandkids, of course. And so my granddad that year was in his pajamas, sitting there with a walker right in front of him in the chair in the corner of the living room. Grandkids are running around, there's paper everywhere, and it's loud and food and it's just everything. And my granddad just sitting there, just eating a couple of bites, And man, when I think about this passage, here's what I think about. 
I know that that house on Hallwood Circle, Macon, Georgia, was crazy that night. And I know that what's going on inside my granddad's body with broken bones just began to heal as a 60-something-year-old man, but still in pain. I know what was going on inside of his body was crazier than what was going on around. But when I think about that moment, I think about the peace of Jesus being on my granddad's face. Because my granddad was right with the Lord, and his family was there, and that was all he ever cared about. And he was confident that God was in control confident that whatever was going on around and whatever was going on inside it was going to be okay because God was in control how awesome would this Christmas and our lives this Christmas and our photos and the gifts that end up under the tree and our family time and our parties and the office parties and even our scrapbook one day when we look back how different would it all be if this year we let Jesus put a sword to all loyalties and receive the true peace of undivided hearts this Christmas let me pray for us Father thank you Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I thank you, Jesus, that when all is crazy around us and even um, when all is crazy and and under our roofs and in our hearts, we can just slow down and we can ask you for peace. And Jesus, you offer it and you receive peace. And it's not the peace of politics or a good economy. It's not any of that. But it's peace in our hearts between us and you. Peace that we feel is faith family and peace that comes from being confident that you are in control. Father, it would be super easy right now to just blow through this moment and we get out of here. But God, the truth is that um, I'm confident that some of us are feeling restless because we need you, the great physician, to come and amputate some sin, some idolatry. Uh, Maybe even it's just the idol of busyness and restlessness this Christmas season. Father, if there's anybody here today who's never experienced true peace from giving their life to you, I pray they would do that today. I pray that they would come down here during the invitation in just a moment and uh, share what they need to experience the peace that comes from giving their life to Christ, exchanging their sin for true life and forgiveness and grace in Jesus. And for others among us, maybe it'll be at our pew, maybe it'll be at the altar, I don't, I don't know God, but some of us just need this morning, rather than go out of here with an action plan for how we're going to get peace this Christmas, we just need to ask you and receive the peace that only you can give. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done and what you're going to continue to do. In your name we pray. Amen.